This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. This is the fourth edition of my show. Today I have a very special guest. My special guest is Mark Patterson. Mark is a Seattle native. Mark, bear with me. I'm going to give a little preamble about you. Mark is a, was a Roosevelt High School football star. He's in the Roosevelt High School Hall of Fame. Mark was a three-year letterman who played for the late great coach Don James. Mark was in uh, a couple bowl games, including the famous Washington Orange Bowl victory over Oklahoma. Mark, in 2016, and the rest of that famous 1984 University of Washington team was inducted in the class of 2016 Hall of Fame. Mark played in the NFL for five seasons. After his football career, Mark has become a successful businessman, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Mark is currently CEO of NFL Two Seven Summits. Mark's a public speaker, motivational speaker. Mark is currently a host of a great podcast series. I want to pull a plug for this one, Finding Your Summit. Uh, I want the listeners to go to MarkPattisonNFL.com to hear it. Mark, in about 2013, became a mountain climber. His goal is to climb the Seven Summits on seven continents. Mark has currently climbed five of the summits, I believe, Mark. Is that correct? I've been on five, summited four, and my uh, last one uh, was on uh, Denali in Alaska, and I got thwarted from the from the top because it was minus 60 degrees uh, up there, which, uh, so I, I obviously did not make that. Have to go back again next year and do it. Well, we'll have to hear more about it when you get that one done. So I want to share with, okay. with the listeners, Mark's about nine years older than me, but we have a connection. We both are Roosevelt High School grads. We both grew up in the Northeast Seattle area. And Mark, you're always one of those older athletes that myself and many other fellows my age have looked up to. And, you know, we're not that far apart in age, but when you're in elementary school and somebody's in high school, there's definitely an age difference in, the, in those K through 12 years. But Mark, you've always been one of those kids in the View Ridge, Lowellhurst, Northeast Seattle neighborhood and made it big. And uh, today we want to talk about your career and your thoughts on some other issues outside and within the sports world. We're going to hit on a potpourri of subjects. And uh, we only have 27 minutes today, Mark, so we're just going to kind of get a, a checklist of stuff in and, and uh, get your thoughts on some stuff. I decided I'd rather focus on multiple issues with you than just one or two issues. So, Mark, I want to start with uh, my first topic here involves youth sports. You were a very successful athlete at the K-12 through level. There was a recent Time Magazine cover story the September 4th, 2017 edition about the whole youth sports industry. It's apparently like a $15 billion industry with all the traveling squads, and apparently there's some stadiums now for youth sports teams. Mark, I know you love sports, and I do as well, but you think youth sports has gotten a little too excessive? Well, that's a mouthful, and uh, there's a lot there. Um, and on one hand, I would say yes. On the other hand, I would say no, and for this reason. Um, so, you know, you and I grew up in roughly the same neighborhood, and I spent 18,000 hours at View Ridge Playfield playing with my buddies. And my mom literally used to go out every night, open the back door, and yell over the fence of View Ridge Playfield and tell me to come in for dinner. And pretty much had to drag me out the field. So, um, what we were doing back in the day is more or less what they're doing today. All they did is organize it. And then now, of course, they're monetizing, you know, by having all these different leagues and coaches and, and specialists. I think the thing where it just gets off track and where um, it's got a little unbalanced 
is from the standpoint of they're really making kids pick what sport they want to do at around eighth grade. Right. And if you don't get on that wagon, then, you know, you get behind and, and that's just the disadvantage. Now there are certain athletes that, you know, they're just obviously going to rise to the top, but you know, all those skills for so many of those kids are formed at that earlier age. And, um, and therein lies part of the problem in that while they're being specialized, so many of these kids are getting hurt now because they're not doing uh, all these different activities. I mean, I can tell you, um, for anybody that uh, is in uh, you know, kind of that northeast part of Seattle where we grew up, um, I spent a lot of time down at Lower Beach Club during the summers. And, I, and, I, and I, <clears throat> I say this with all sincerity, that I think one of the things that helped me in my growth and in becoming a, an athlete was not just playing football, but also spending a lot of time on this log, rolling the log during the summer. Remember well, you know, competing and just that, yeah, yep. Yeah. So that that foot speed, that balance, um, that competitiveness, um, those types of things. But also, you know, like a lot of kids playing the three sports: baseball, basketball, uh, football. As we're talking about guys, and certainly with women, it's really opened up. I've got two daughters, but now, you know, essentially them being able to play all these different sports from softball, soccer, volleyball. Um, and, and sports like that. So, you know, I, I don't know, answering your question, at, at the end of the day, you know, when, when you go up and down, there's so many positives and negatives, sure. you know, on either side of the argument that, you know, you, you know, the question really is, I guess, you know, what's best for your kid? Mark, I had, and I know my, my question was very open-ended, but I wanted to get your feedback. I had, I met Jim Rice, the famous Major League Baseball player and uh, MLB Hall of Famer at the January Fred Hutch lunch this year at Safeco Field. And one thing that Jim Rice brought up is he felt that sports, Little League sports, were getting a little bit out of control. And he's of the viewpoint that you just need to let kids have fun and play. He, he agrees the high school level, things should get, it's okay for things to get more competitive. But, but Jim's of the belief at the K-8 through level, he just thinks the kids are not having enough fun playing these days. Does Jim have a point on that, Mark? I think so. I, I really do. You know, I mean, it gets too competitive and... You know, when I was coaching, um, I guess the way I tried to dumb it down just a little bit was I recognized that I was one of the very, very, very few people that made it all the way to the top of the mountain as it relates to football. For sure. And most of those kids were, you know, going to not go on to high school and play, and then half of them would, half wouldn't. And so what I always tried to make it when I was coaching girls, volleyball, basketball, soccer, um, and uh, softball, if I didn't already say that, um, was, was you know, if this is the pinnacle of their sports score, if you could actually create that graph and show the arc of how successful they're going to be, right. there's only like four girls off the, those teams of, you know, 20 to 30 girls that were trying out that were even going to go on to college, let alone something beyond that. So why not make that the most important time of their lives and breathe that confidence into them and play them equally along with everybody else and just have fun? Gotcha. You want to win? But do it in a, in, a, in a way that's healthy and fun. They walk up the field. There's no pressure. And you go get an ice cream cone afterwards. Hopefully next time, Mark, I have you on. We can hit more and more on, on some of these individual subjects. Mark, you had a great University mm-hmm. of Washington football career, as I, as I mentioned in the uh, intro. Um, can you share with me a little bit about what the late Don James meant to you, what Coach James meant to you? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question, um, and I'll try to sum this up pretty quickly. Sure. You know, when I when I was at uh, really growing up, all the way to when I went to the University of Washington. So now I'm like 18 years old, and I pretty much, you know, I was always out doing something athletic and throwing a ball or bouncing a ball or something, but. I never really put that much time into my craft in terms of the way that you go about doing things today. And I could just get away with pretty much my talent. And it was, you know, good enough where that worked for me. I walked on, or I didn't walk on, but I got a scholarship at the University of Washington. Now it's the first day of training camp. And we're in August. And I go out there and I, I just have this overwhelming feeling as I looked around and Everybody was an All-American somewhere, but they were now developed. I'm talking about the upperclassmen. They were developed. They were strong. They were emotionally, physically, spiritually ready to play. And I weighed 181 pounds, 6'2", could not bench my weight. I ended up leaving there benching 350, but that's not, that's not the point. Wow. Um, the point is that Coach James was very disciplined about you know, his pyramid of success, which he got from Coach Wooden. And in that pyramid of success, there's 22 blocks. And it's pretty much like, hey, guys, we're trying to win the national championship, and this is where we want to go. These are all the things, starting at the very bottom. And, you know, being in the weight room, running the stairs, uh, doing well in the classroom. I mean, there's all these different pillars that if you follow this this module, and, of course, it takes talent, too, but um, if you do this, you'll end up there. And it's just like there was just like this – this this lightning strike Coach moment James for me. Installed, Coach well, James installed like quality control, right? Yeah. Paul yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just it, it was just a it's an incredible moment for 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 me to like have that moment that flashball moment go off. Like you know, if I want to be like those guys someday, I need to follow this program. And so it was a whole mind shift. Paul Schneiderman on sports and stuff. I have as my special guest Mark Patterson. Mark, you had a, a good five year NFL career. Uh, I'd love to go deeper on this, but I got w one question for you on this. Was playing for the L.A. Raiders in that 1980s L.A. Hollywood atmosphere, was that just a pretty pretty crazy situation? Well, if you can imagine, you know, you go from Don James, really hardcore, very disciplined, everything is super structured. I was there for five years playing with him, and then I get drafted by this crazy Raider team, which right. I had grown up, you know, like a lot of people admiring. In those days, it was the Oakland Raiders. And I go out, and our first stretching, you know, there's Jim Plunkett, and we're sitting in the circle versus a structured line, and the DBs are here, and the quarterbacks are over there, the receivers are in another spot, and, you know, Ray Guy is out there, an old punter, he's smoking a cigarette, Jim Plunkett's drinking some coffee, <laughs> and it was just a whole different uh, deal, you know, and... and um, That's right, they're the Oakland Raiders, the they're the, they became well, the LA guess, Raiders, right? What's that? When, when you started, you were with the Oakland Raiders, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, they were down in L.A., as you, as you, as you pointed out. But, you know, I, I can remember going in the huddle and um, in the first training camp, mini camp, and Jim Plunk is the quarterback, Marcus Allen is the running back, Todd Christensen is the tight end, all these all pros uh, on the, on the O-line, the other receivers, Cliff Branch. We, we go ready break. We go to the line. Lester Hayes is, is defending me. I've got, you know, Howie Long and Matt Millen and, Lyle Zato, and I'm just, you know, one guy after the other who would ultimately go into the Hall of Fame, and it was just a, it was like, if I ever died, and this is what football heaven looked like, this is it, and just, <laughs> right. you know, just crazy, I mean, it was insane. I mean, those are big, Mark, like, those are big know? personalities you just mentioned, all Zato, Plunkett, those are big name personalities, too. I got Mark Plunkett, well, go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, I'm going to add on to that, they had this whole camaraderie night, which I <laughs> learned about 
and Plunkett took me under his wing and uh, it was, you know, we spent a, a few nights out in the bar and, you know, there's certain rituals. And so um, anyways, it, it was a fun time to be 23 in L.A. playing for the uh, L.A. Raiders. Oh, I bet. I got more stories on that. So, Mark, the, the late Jack Kemp, former housing secretary, congressman, presidential candidate, as you know, I'm sure you know, he was a great AFL quarterback at one time. And Kemp called himself, I always got to kick out of this term, a bleeding heart conservative. But one thing Kemp always said is he learned a lot about race relations, being around a lot of players of color, in particular African-Americans. Mark, you grew up, like me, in a predominantly Caucasian, upper middle class area. Do you feel that you learned a lot being exposed to people from different backgrounds, not just different racial backgrounds, but geographic and economic backgrounds in your uh, college NFL playing career? Uh, yeah, well, I also know his, his son, uh, Jeff, of course, he's up there, Jeff Camp, who's an NFL quarterback. And, you know, sure. there's nothing that kind of, you know, blends uh, races together more than sport. And that really, you know, Roosevelt did have its share of minorities, but that really kicked in at the University of Washington because now you're getting guys from inner city L.A. and other places around the country. And I remember one guy, uh, his name is Fred Small. Unfortunately, he passed away a number of years ago in an accident, car accident. Very but sad. he was a black kid, very good player, starter for the UW. And he came up to me and looked me dead straight in the eye and said, I honestly thought black players were superior to white players. And then we had all these, you know, really good white guys, too. So it went both ways. And we came together and we loved each other as like brothers. We played, we sweat, we... You know, we did all those things, and, it, and I think it really did. It, it just really tore down the barriers of racism and inequality, and, you know, you're really coming coming together to, you know, for a greater cause. Yeah, no, you mentioned, you mentioned Jeff Kemp, too. So, Mark, you had, you've had an interesting business career. Um, I'm looking at your, your background. Patterson Group, co-founder of Front Porch Classics, uh, Maverick Consulting. And I'm going to talk a, little, a few minutes more about what you're doing now exactly. But I want to ask you a question, Mark. What have you seen that makes a good CEO or a business leader? Give, give a 30-second answer to that if you can. A couple qualities you've seen that make a good business leader. Well, I think you need to be committed um, to what your, what your craft is, whatever that is. Um, having, you know, having a vision is one thing. Getting it off the ground, which is something that I've specialized in doing, it just takes a daily grind. Um, you have to have a vision, you have to have a roadmap, and you got to know where you're going, and you need to stay committed on an everyday path. If you don't, it's just too easy to quit because too many obstacles come up. I got Paul Schneiderman. I'm Paul Schneiderman here on Sports and Stuff, and I have on uh, a special guest, Mark Patterson. Mark, I'm going to throw out a couple well-known business names, business leaders, and I'm going to ask you who, if you had to pick one or two, your favorite business CEO is. I'm going to throw out a couple names. It doesn't have to be one of these, but I, I, I want to give you some ideas. Howard Schultz, Jack Welsh, Steve Ballmer, Jeff Bezos, Lee Iacocca. Who stands out to you personally as a great business leader? Well, it's easy for me because I, I uh, one of my companies, um, we made all the outdoor green market Starbucks umbrellas for 14 years, uh, pretty much worldwide for, for uh, Starbucks. And then when I started Front Porch Classics, um, we went and we pitched Howard Schultz and we ultimately got in. Um, it was a gaming company. And uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Howard, played basketball against Howard. But, you know, I think Howard is the epitome to me of what those CEOs should be like. He's got um, tremendous amount of passion. Uh, he has tremendous amount of drive. He has a, a, um, 
a very clear understanding of what motivates uh, uh, people and a sense of his uh, surroundings, and just a good guy, you know, with high values. And that's that's really what I got out of him. And and um, so since he's the guy that I know out of that group, um, that's that's I'm going with that answer. And Howard certainly has a little bit of stigma in Seattle with a sonic sale issue. Yeah, you know, look, things went upside down, and unfortunately with the Sonics, I mean, I grew up as a Sonics fan, you know, I remember in back in the 80s, early 80s, 80, I think 79 and 80, when we uh, went to the championship two years in a row, and uh, I've gotten to know Jack Sigma, and I'm buddies with Detlef Shrimp, and, you know, so I have my roots tied to that as well, and I, I think he just got so worn down by contract holdouts, and he's such a relationship guy, and that's probably something a lot of these, these people in Seattle don't know doesn't make it right and obviously he probably regrets selling that team to the guys in Oklahoma City but you know that's what he did and you know we all make mistakes right and trying to correct those things I, and I think the easy thing for him could have been is just like pack his bags and move to the East Coast or California or some other place and you know he kind of stood up in the fire and, and took it head on and you know it hasn't been easy but um, I don't know. I still have a lot of respect for him, sure. and I'm hopeful that our Sonics can come back to the great city of Seattle. And you have a little different perspective of, of Howard uh, through your own dealings with him as well. Mark, I want to ask you a question about corporate citizenship. There was recently a study that I saw on Twitter, a uh, Time Magazine site, that the, what, the profession that has the largest number of sociopaths, and my profession attorneys are right behind are CEOs. CEOs kind of have a stereotype of being kind of rogue, tough guys. Mark, with CEOs with responsibilities to shareholders and investors, can, can they? Can you have a humane corporation or is that just naive? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it goes back to, you know, you got to, as a CEO, and I'm not sure this is kind of a blanket answer here. Sure. Um, but I think at least what I tried to strive for. And I, and I know, you know, I'm buddies with the Nordstrom's and those guys and, you know, a number of guys around Seattle who are in those types of positions. But I just believe you just need to start with having a very, very strong moral compass. And when you do that, everything trickles down from there. And you also get the respect of all the employees. So, you know, if your company is doing well, how do you not only treat your, your, your companies, but if you are profitable, like the way Microsoft is and other companies, you know, you're paying it forward. What can you do to improve that community? Paul and that all starts with the CEO and leadership. Interesting. Paul Schneider on sports and stuff, Mark Patterson. Mark, there's a great 2006 Seattle PI article on you that I read back then, and I read it again recently as I was preparing for my interview with you. And at the time, you're a married guy, two kids, successful businessman, prominent former athlete, living the American dream. And you've mentioned you had some personal challenges that came up the last several years and have led you to doing some mountaineering and other things. So in concern the mountaineering, did you just wake up one morning, decide you want to be a climber? Give us a little background on what led you to do these amazing uh, climbs. Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. The, uh, you know, we're referencing, you know, the tough time as I was going through a difficult period with my now ex-wife. I, I had actually moved from Seattle after moving back there, you know, from L.A. back to Seattle. I was up there for 12 years. She wanted to go back and act. And, you know, we just found ourselves in Santa Monica. I didn't have really a whole lot of friends and support down here in California. And so, you know, it was a really challenging time. So I, I finally, after kind of feeling sorry for myself, really um, asked the question, what I, 
I was going to do about it. Having grown up in Seattle and I've climbed Tiger Mountain probably 200 times, something wow. like that, especially with Jim Mora back in the day. And um, I was just like, you know, I want to become the first NFL player to ever climb the seven summits. And the, that would be the seven highest peaks on the seven continents. And so kind of got my plan together and I really needed to fill my bucket. And so uh, got a map, a plan, like we're talking about, you know, going back to Don James's Pyramid of Success. And um, I did what I need to do to kind of like, if I was going to take this on is what would it take and where would I go? So I started off flying down to um, uh, Africa, to Tanzania and climbing uh, Kilimanjaro. And, you know, then I, from there I went and climbed uh, the highest peak in, in Europe, which is in uh, uh, Russia. Uh, which is crazy, and then off to uh, Australia, Mount Mount Kosciuszko, and then down in Argentina um, a couple a year and a half ago called Mount Aconcagua. So that was a high one, about twenty three thousand feet, and then um, didn't make the top of Denali this last year. But uh, going back next uh, in two eighteen in May, and then the following year I'll be on Everest. So great, great. you know, definitely, yeah. So uh, that's kind of what happened and what led me to, and it's kind of like taking fire in terms of you know, where it's gone. I didn't, I didn't necessarily plan like this would be a business out of it or potential, you know, to grant, get an audience, but a lot of these really cool things have come out of it. Paul Schneider on sports and stuff with Mark Patterson. Mark, of the, of the climbs you've done so far, these major mountains, uh, 15 seconds, what's your favorite one? I think my favorite one so far is being in Argentina and Aconcagua. Um, for a lot of reasons, one, I summited it. Um, you know, it was hard. It was a grind. We were down there three weeks. It's the highest I've ever been, just uh, just a hair under uh, 23,000 feet. No oxygen. Felt super strong. We had a good team. Uh, and a lot of things happened. You know, of the 12 people that started, only six made it. We were flying a lot of people off the mountain from high-altitude sickness. And it was a personal triumph in that I didn't, you know, I don't, I don't appear, knock on wood, to date, you know, have those issues. And so, it, you know, it gave me some more confidence to just keep the journey going. Mark, the preparation for these major clients must be pretty extensive, huh? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wired in a way that, you know, I, I uh, I'm, you know, super uh, busy athletically, you know, as a young kid growing up in, in uh, Seattle on View Ridge Playfield and, you know, really, I've just never stopped. Um, and uh, a lot of guys, after getting down with the NFL or college, stop and they gain some weight. And, um, you know, I just I thrive on these these getting up every single morning, going, working out. Uh, and, um, and and probably three days a week, I do two a days. And, Great. you know, and going on challenge, challenging different, you know, not just, you know, mountain climbing, but, you know, I'll bike uh, probably 40 miles in the Santa Monica Mountains uh, every week. And, and then I'll be up in Seattle every couple of weeks and go back and do Tiger. So I'm always trying to be in the outdoors. Paul Schneider on Sports and Stuff, Mark Patterson. Mark, real quickly, what is about Mount Everest that makes it sort of the granddaddy of them all when it comes to summits? What is about Everest that makes it stand out so much? Well, I think the obvious thing, you know, out of the out of the gate is, uh, you know, it's the highest mountain in the world. So that's number one. And you're up there at 29,000 feet with the, in the jet stream. And just that alone presents a lot of challenges um, with people. And, you know, of course, there's been, um, you know, the movie and the book in the thin air. And, you know, there's been a lot of tragedy. Great and, but I got to tell you, um, it's my opinion that many of these, because I've, I've climbed with some of these different people and I've seen this firsthand, that many of these issues that arise in the, in, the, in, in the mountains in terms of having a fatality or something usually happen for two reasons. Um, one, it's just, you know, bad luck. That's, you can be crossing the street and a car hits you and that's just bad luck and those things happen, um, but not that often. 
Um, and the other part is stupidity. And I see more people up there who think they can take this on, who think they can physically do it, and they're just not even anywhere close. Some egos and, involved. Um, I, what's that? A little egos involved at times then. Well, it's just like, oh, they, you know, they, they, they read about it in a book or see it in a movie and say, hey, it'd be cool to be there, but they're just in way over their head. Um, and, you know, it's just they shouldn't be there the first time. We were, we were on uh, Denali this last year. We were on a uh, 16,000 feet. We were on a fixed line, 2,000 foot, uh, almost vertical face, uh, 45 degree. Um, and a guy on our team just literally laid down and said, I quit. I'm done. And if we would have left him, he would have died. Gosh, and trying wow. to get him down and over a gigantic crevasse was awful and um, jeopardized the whole group as the storm was coming in. Mark, we have about two more minutes. You're, you've been doing some motivational speaking now. T tell the listeners what makes the Patterson motivational speaking really stand out compared to a lot of other motivational speakers. Tell us what you're doing that makes you stand out. Well, look, I'm not here to say I'm better than anybody else. Um, I just, what, what, what's come out of this since five years ago is my, you know, my Facebook page and many other of these channels that I'm doing have blown up. So I think, you know, people are, are there's a lot of people out there that are looking to achieve more than what they maybe think they are able to do. And, you know, a lot of what I relate back to is what I learned with Coach James. I've I've uh, actually come up with my own acronym called Summits, and that's really how to accomplish different things. You know, the S representing the C, the U, unleash your plan, then you move it, then you measure it, then you improve it. Things happen, you traverse, and then at the very end you summit, and that's really about paying it forward and really kind of going through those and tying those stories together um, about my mountain climbing, playing the NFL, and starting those different businesses where things don't always go right. And you gotta like figure it out and keep going. Great stuff, Mark. Mark, you've also been doing some charitable work, and you're doing some work in Tanzania, working on building water wells. Can you give us a little um, thirty-second summary or so of what you're what you're doing in Tanzania? It sounds very fascinating. Hey. Oh, yeah, I was so fortunate uh, this last year, just again, because I've had this exposure um, on these different channels. Uh, Chris Long of the Philadelphia Eagles, who was with the uh, Patriots last year in the Super Bowl, but he started this foundation called waterboys.org. It's building water wells for the people of the Maasai tribe in the Serengeti. And so uh, six NFL guys, including Jim Moore and myself, um, and then uh, four uh, Green Berets, uh, three of them were disabled, um, were asked to raise a bunch of money. And then uh, we went down and, and um, actually funded two wells. Uh, Jim Moore and I actually crushed it. We were asked to raise $15,000. We, we raised about 50000 and it, it takes $45,000 to fund a well. So the special thing out of all this is that uh, we did fund a well. We did go down there. We did climb the mountain. So I've climbed Kilimanjaro actually twice. Uh, fun to be uh, with those different people. And then they dedicated a well to my dad, um, which is, there's now a plaque uh, down in um, at one of the tribes uh, in, the, in the Serengeti. That's terrific. Uh, where my dad will live in perpetuity as he passed away five years ago. Well, I'm sorry your dad's passing away. That's so neat, though, that you have that uh, memory in Tanzania. Well, Marcus, it's been terrific to have you on this show. I, I hope we can get you back. I know my colleague and friend Rick Dupree wants to have you on in the future. I know you, Rick, Rick will go a ways back. But it's just been a great interview, Mark, and thank you for coming on, and uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Happy to do it anytime. Just let me know. Thanks, Mark.